Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When Meg Zucker learned her two sons had a hereditary limb condition that caused them to have missing digits on their hands and feet, the very same condition that Zucker herself has, she says she still felt like she was crash landing in an unstoppable new reality. Zucker had learned to feel comfortable with her difference, but helping her kids become comfortable with theirs was a different journey. One she documents in her new book, Born Extraordinary. We'll talk to Zucker about empowering kids to talk about and flaunt what makes them different. She joins us after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Meg Zucker was born with one finger on each hand, one toe on each foot, and shortened forearms. And she learned, with the help of her parents, not to care what other people think. But when her two sons were born with the hereditary condition, that learning process started all over again. Zucker joins us to talk about parenting a child with a difference or disability and the power in teaching kids to flaunt what makes them different. Meg Zucker is founder and president of the nonprofit Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, and her new book is Born Extraordinary. Welcome to Forum, Meg Zucker. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I understand your condition is called ectrodactyly, but that you didn't know that that's what it was called until you were older when you were applying to law school. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it's it's truly an embarrassing story where I was at, and I must tell you, by the time you're applying to law school, you'd hope that I wasn't still seeing my pediatrician, but I was. And so I went to see my pediatrician and said, I think I need you to complete this application, this you know form for my application to law school. And when he did that, he wrote down the words extradactily. And I really found it unrecognizable. And to be clear, when I was born uh, at that point in time, no doctor, no one knew that there was any type of label associated with my physical condition and genetic condition. And so as a result, I had never known, nor had my parents really even known that there was uh, an associated medical term. And so ectrodactyly is what he wrote there. And when I asked him, what does that mean? He's like, oh, it's just a, a medical term. It's Greek. It means missing digits, which really told me nothing I didn't already know. And you also have two boys with ectrodactyly, right? I do. Yes. Um, Ethan is uh, now Ethan is 20 and a junior in college and Charlie is is 18 uh, and he's a senior in high school. But both of them have it. And I'll tell you something, I mean, it's, it's interesting because once we had Ethan and it was absolutely my biggest fear to pass along my genetic condition, 
which we can talk about if you'd like. But I will say that once we had Ethan and he had one finger on each toe uh, on each hand and two toes on each foot. And then when Charlie came, I actually kind of freaked out because Charlie had two fingers on each hand and two toes on each foot. And so what the doctor didn't tell me when he was filling out that form is extradactily for me doesn't mean, therefore, if I have children and that's a 50 percent you know, uh, chance, he didn't tell me that at the time of passing along my condition, that doesn't mean they're going to have the exact mirror of my mm -hmm. own physical difference. It just comes in different forms. And in fact, I have shortened form forms, like you said, but they don't. Uh, I see. Why did it freak you out, though, that, that Charlie had two fingers, for example? Oh, my gosh. My husband, John, was like, Meg, it's okay. For, you know, two is better than one. It's fine. You're good. Um, I think it's because having one finger on each hand was absolutely familiar. Um, having, you know, uh, two fingers on each hand. I mean, uh, quite frankly, if someone has five fingers on each hand, that's familiar too, not personally, but I get it. Um, two fingers, I really just, it was a new frontier. And I kept thinking, what is he going to do? What is he going to be able to do? And and my husband was just laughing at me. He's like, no, no, no. Again, like more fingers is okay. It's fine. You're good. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll work this through. <laughs> well, I definitely want to get into parenting and your thoughts on parenting kids with differences. Sure. And obviously boys was not the right way to refer to Ethan as a 20 year old now. My oh goodness. my God. He's in, he's living his best life in Barcelona, <laughs> junior year abroad. So um, <laughs> or junior spring abroad. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. But I did want yeah. to just touch on what I had mentioned earlier in the intro, which is that you want us to flaunt our differences. And I'd just love to get a better sense of what you mean by flaunting it, the, the power and impact of that message that you see. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we can all agree that the word flaunt can have a negative connotation and often it does. It seems excessive and so forth. But just to put it into perspective, um, I grew up uh, most of my childhood into my teens and even um, early adulthood as what I would describe as a hider. Um, and my family and friends would tell you, no, you didn't, Meg, your hands were out. You didn't seem to care. But what they didn't probably appreciate was that that's true, very comfortable surroundings. I was not a hider. Um, but in fact, when, when I was in public or meeting people new or whatever the case may be, um, I really just wanted them to know me before they sort of noticed, quote unquote, it. And I felt like if, you know, I was showing my hands, then they were going to be fixated on that. And then they couldn't get to know me first. And I really wanted them to, I'm, I don't know if you can tell me that I'm super social. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> come get to know me first. And then we can talk about that if you really want to know. But so I was a hider. And so, you know, as things evolved, um, you know, and I had my children, we'll, like you said, we'll come back to that. But I really started understanding and appreciating the power of um, unconditional self-acceptance and self-love and how that um, really, really benefited me ways that I could never have possibly, possibly um, just entertained even. I mean, what it meant was the more I, you know, was not a hider and I was leaning into my authentic self, the more I noticed people seemed to be more comfortable around me. And, and therefore, and quite frankly, even motivated to be lean into their own authentic selves. So I always say, you know, being a flaunter is really, you know, rooted in that concept, but also, you know, a, you know, it's it, it years later, I not only think of 
of being different or at least flaunting your uh, authentic self as a gift, it, it keeps on giving. That's that's a really great point. And, and also one of the things that I, I loved in reading about sort of your evolution from hiding to flaunting, essentially, where that there were some really poignant moments that were really quite simple moments. Um, things like letting your bare feet dangle in a, a vacation photo or or deciding to go on a walk with your older son, Ethan, without bringing a sweater. Can you talk about those moments and how the, those can almost qualify as flaunting in a way? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And thank you for, for reading the book. I really appreciate it. It's truly my labor of love. And it just gives me so much joy to share it. Um, and also, you know, that it's my story, but there are, you know, a, a lot of other contributors with other their own you know, wisdom and, and nuggets and, and all that good kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, yeah, the, the, I kind of liken it to, you know, we have, um, and I, I speak about this a lot, visible differences and invisible differences. And obviously I wear my difference literally on my sleeve with my hand difference, but with my feet, um, they're covered up in shoes. And so in that sense, it's much more like one of those differences that I find the invisible difference it's harder to reveal. And I know that because in the summertime or whenever the case may be, when I'm at the beach or I'm at the pool, I newly have to almost um, relearn how to consciously say, I'm okay with this. I'm going to take off my shoes. And I, you know, one of my favorite, favorite expressions, it's in the book. It's, it's a motto that was um, shared with me by someone very dear to me. Um, and it's what you think of me is none of my business. And that is such a powerful concept to me. And it's in, you know, the sort of hid version of it. I always think in terms of, you know, the Dr. Seuss of, you know, people that matter don't mind and, um, and people, wait, people that mind don't matter and people that matter don't mind. I think that's the quote. And, and it's that concept of all of it. And so I have to sort of refocus myself every single time I do that reveal and then remind myself, why do I really care what people are thinking? Because if they matter, they don't mind. And therefore I shouldn't either. Hmm. And how do you feel like that message also applies to people with less visible differences? The message of flaunting, I guess, essentially, if you have something that is less visible or invisible, I'm sure you get that question a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I do, and it's it's interesting with all the work I've done um, through my uh, the nonprofit profit I founded, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It. You know, there's a lot of uh, people that are and kids and people of ages that struggle with those invisible differences. Maybe struggle even more, by the way, because when you have a blatant difference, um, whether you're born with it or it happens along the way, you're sort of forced to reckon with it. Um, whether you like it or not, and people are going to sort of swoop in to make certain you remember that this is what's happening in your life. Um, From an invisible difference perspective, you know, it takes um, tons of courage to get there, even more courage, I would tell you, to sort of, you know, navigate yourself through it. And by the way, um, one of the things that I've learned, you know, through this is, for example, uh, you know, a, a child that had written an essay for uh, our nonprofit as part of a, a program that we do. Um, she wrote about having epilepsy, which is her invisible difference. And mm-hmm. her mother wrote to me saying, you know, the fact that she was given that sort of runway to leap in and 
talk about things that, you know, going to the hospital and having seizures, she had never been really willing to share it with her friends. But, you know, given if given the space and the opportunity, but here's the catch, Mina, she was doing an environment where all of her classmates were also sharing what makes them them, you know, whether they felt short or whether they wore glasses or braces or things like that. So I think it's all about connectivity. And so when you're, you know, when you're, you know, trying to contemplate revealing um, the invisible difference that you have and ultimately flaunting it, just to always remind yourself, you're not alone. You might not be next to the person that has your same invisible difference, but you certainly can find people that feel like you do. I noticed that you use the words difference and disability interchangeably, but do you have a preference between the two? Oh, that's a great question. And I actually covered in my book because, you know, the yes. label is a really interesting label. Um, personally, um, when I was, well, I, I would say that uh, my parents raised me to, you know, sort of sky's the limit. You could do anything and everything. And I wasn't sure when I was thinking about that label of disability, like, why don't I associate, associate myself with this? Because certainly there's a, a lot of incredible people that do. And in fact, the American Disabilities Act um, is is something that, of course, empowers people um, and deserved people. So, just just to focus on that, I mean, I, I have to say it's not something that. Um, and you know what? Why don't we continue that after the break? How about that? Sure, that sounds great. Yeah. We're talking with Meg Zucker. Born Extraordinary is the book that she's written, empowering children with differences and disabilities. And you, our listeners, can join the conversation. Do you flaunt a difference or disability? What impact has that had on you or the people around you? And what would you like to know about how to support a child or loved one with a difference or disability? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Or call us at 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Later this week, we want to hear how you've weathered... The weather. Winter storms have gripped California these last couple of weeks. Rain, snow, hail. How have you been affected? Feel free to leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. Today we're talking with Meg Zucker about 
having kids with the same limb condition she has and her journey through uncertainty and insecurity about parenting them and teaching her kids to flaunt their differences. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation. We're hearing how Meg Zucker learned to go from hiding to flaunting. And, and we want to hear how you flaunt a difference or a disability if you do and what impact that has had on you. Or if you have questions about how to support kids or loved ones with a difference or disability, feel free to call 866-733-6786 to find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQ. QED forum, email forum at kqed.org. Meg, before the break, you were talking about why you personally prefer difference over disability or or that path for you if if you want to continue. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And and look, at the end of the day, I, I was trying to figure out why what's what's wrong with the label of so many people sort of you know fly the a flag of disability pride as they should. And I think what happened was I was getting ready for work. And um, the the traffic report went on, and they're like, "Warning, your your commute's going to be horrible. There's a disabled vehicle in the road." And all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, this this term um, is not used always in the positive way it should be." But at the end of the day, I really have evolved. I, I really don't think it matters. I think that you know uh, people uh, should have the um, ability to label themselves or their children just the way that feels comfortable for them. And I. Think that's wonderful. And that's why in the book, I make certain to call that out. Mm. What are, and we talked about how we wanted to get into parenting kids um, with differences or disabilities. What are some of the ways that you really remember your parents building your confidence growing up? Because I'm so struck by the fact that, as you say, when you were born and as you were growing up, for a long time, there wasn't actually a term or a real understanding of ectrodactyly. Yeah, so, so you know, look, my parents, and one of the reasons I wrote this book, you know, is because I wish they would have written a guidebook for me, right, <laughs> to, to sort of lead me through these types of things. Um, a couple of things. Number one, uh, they were um, certain to not be overprotective. Of course, all parents are protective, but they really did you know, sort of take my cues and follow my leads and, and allow me to explore my own passions, even things that they couldn't fathom. Um, I did. And that's how I ended up playing trombone and, and doing things that, you know, would be unimaginable if you if you have one finger on each hand. Um, The other thing that they did in terms of parenting me in terms of confidence and building on my confidence is tapping into the cues of my mood. And what I mean by that is, you know, look, some days I would be coming home and it wasn't every day for sure, but I'd come home and I call them pity parties. I just come home and cry and just feel sorry for myself. And just why can't I be like anyone else? And quite frankly, as I write in the book, when I was really young, I'm like, sometime when I'm like 15 or something really old like that, all my other fingers are going to come in. But they were really, really realistic with me. They were mm-hmm. truthful for, with me. Um, and maybe in some ways people might think it sounds almost like too, too blunt in their honesty with me, but I think it actually helped me and did build my confidence. And by the way, those pity parties, my, my parents would step in and say, look, you can have a cry for a minute or two, but then let's move on. And by, by supporting me in that way and not just say move on and not doing something, let's move on and do X. So you go to the next task and then I get distracted and enjoying my life again. Yeah, I remember I remember reading about those stories. I I also remember you talking about the importance of 
of parents leaning out as opposed to trying to be overprotective. You talk about the trombone just then, but do you want to talk a little bit more about what you mean by leaning out? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll do it in the, in the context of my own kids, because I think my parents did a great job of leaning out, leaning out again, meaning, you know, don't be overprotective, you know, uh, in that sense. But one of the stories that I share, which is really embarrassing, um, is our son, Charlie, wanted to play baseball. And to me, even though he had two fingers, I'm like, how could he possibly wear a glove and play baseball? So I was directing him to do other things like basketball, things that I actually did growing up and Ethan had accomplished. And I thought, okay, if Ethan can do basketball, Charlie can. Um, but he really, really persisted. And in fact, um, rather than taking my parents' cue of leaning out, I was sort of leaning in too much and trying to redirect him away from what he wanted to do. In the end, though, he ended up writing because I was, uh, you know, running my nonprofit at the time, and he wrote an essay for my website. And, you know, it was called If the Glove Fits. And it was all about why he wanted to not only play baseball, but do archery. It was really funny. So at the end of the day, you know, leaning out really, really is give your give your kids the freedom to try. And even if they fail, at least they tried. And I'll say one more thing. When you lean out with a kid with a physical difference or disability, you know, even if they can't do whatever it is, all is not lost because there's so much creativity that has sort of been, you know, built in them for the next try that there's some, some really interesting things and motivations for them. So that's my answer. (laughs) Well, let me go to some calls. Isabel in San Jose is with us. Isabel, you're on. Oh, thank you. Yes, I wanted to say uh, uh, how I felt that parents need to educate their children about differences. One of the best ways, I think, is when they're little, is books and how everybody's different and how we're all valued. Um, I have a son who had multiple facial malformation, and he was called names throughout his elementary and even um, teenage years. Uh, so retarded or horse face or crocodile or whatever. Mm. And uh, I always wondered about this kid's parents. They kind of bullied him. And I thought, why Why wouldn't the parents educate them um, not to do that? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it, I think. Um, yeah no. Isabel, thanks. Uh, Mina, did you want to say something or I can well, I no, can I, about it? I think you and I were both reacting to the same thing and what Isabel was saying, which is you really address this head on and have quite a paradigm shift for parents. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's as well, I'm so so sorry um, that your child dealt with that for sure. Um, You know, it's interesting what you meant about books. So there's, there's a, a few thoughts that I have. The one, the one is the book, the books that sort of are there to empower kids to feel like they're not alone is really, really important. And it's not, it extends from books to, you know, uh, other things as well. And it's safe communities, all that kind of stuff. But what you're talking about is the rest, the others, um, you know, the other kids and that the kids willing to, you know, taunt. And in fact, in my book, there's a uh, entire chapter called taking the bully B U L L dash Y by the horns. And, you know, it, it's really, to me, the key to reaching them. And that's the kind of work that my nonprofit don't Had it planted has been doing for almost a decade, is really tapping into those other kids. And what is it about them that no, they wouldn't want anyone to stare at, think about judge them, make assumptions and so forth. 
once we tap into that element of it, and it could be uh, their, their parent, you know, something about their parent, you know, and, or anything you can imagine that comes in their life where they wouldn't want people to judge them or, or, you know, fill in the blank. That's where we tap into that notion of empathy. And once they get that, that's where we've been seeing, um, you know, kids being much more kind to one another. And I'll say one more thing, because I, I really do want to say it in that chapter. And Mina, I'm sure you saw this too. To me, though, kindness is not enough. And I write a lot about in the book in that chapter of, you know, kids that are different, you know, just a, as your child, um, kids need friendship beyond the kindness. Sometimes kindness can be sort of the next step, but the ultimate goal for kids like yours or mine, you know, really was our kids need friendship. And so we what we want to do is create the skills, skill set within, you know, whether it's the classroom or to your point with their own families of reflecting on, well, what is it about yourself that you wouldn't want someone to pick on you? Yeah, it's it is interesting because so many schools do have kindness weeks, they emphasize kindness and so on. But you taking it a step further and saying friendship, <laughs> not just, oh, be nice to the person. Why don't you try being friends with the person? Yes. Meg Zucker, again, is the author of Born Extraordinary. Uh, it's called Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. Zucker is also president and founder of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a nonprofit that works to advance acceptance, understanding, tolerance, and mutual respect for a person's blatant or invisible differences. And Zucker is the U.S. head of anti-money laundering and financial crime at the Royal Bank of Canada, <laughs> wears many hats. <laughs> but if you have thoughts or questions that are coming up for you as you hear Meg Zucker describing her experiences and her experiences with her kids, feel free to call us at 866-733-6786, email forum at kqed.org, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Do you have a difference or disability? Do you find it difficult to flaunt it? Why? If you do, how do you flaunt it? Or what are some questions that you have about how to support kids or loved ones with disabilities or differences? Thank you, Isabel, for the call. I do want to go back just a little bit and talk about the journey you've also taken from learning uh, that you would have kids with ectrodactyly. And it, it is it is really striking because I think the assumption would be that because you have the same condition, that parenting would be sort of easy or intuitive for you. Can you just talk first about finding that out uh, about your first child, Ethan, and what your reaction was, why you have called that the greatest fear of your life or was for so long? Yeah, it's no longer. He's the best ever as <laughs> 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 with my other kids. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, this, this is a really important discussion always in my mind because it was my biggest fear. Um, to me, and you would think, like you said, that I would be absolutely fine with it, but I really wasn't to me. Um, I knew the type of life that they would experience. And that is the experience of effectively living in a fishbowl with people whispering and staring and so forth when they're children, or even when you're an adult and younger people are doing that, or, you know, depends on, on who's around you. So I didn't want that life for them. Um, and so it was my biggest fear that I would uh, pass that on. And I was the root cause of that type of pain. And I really didn't want it. Um, and this was, of course, um, years before, um, before I started Don't Hide It Flaunted and started 
Um, so, so focusing on when I found out, I mean, finding out, therefore, I, I, you know, I believed that it was not going to happen. I mean, I know that's unrealistic, but I just didn't believe it. I was like, no, none of my brothers, my parents, my relatives, this is going to start and end with me. And I mean, in the first chapter, people read those, they'll read why more I thought it wasn't going to happen, but I didn't believe it. Even though there was this 50% chance, I felt like I was going to land on the other side of the 50. Um, And so, you know, when he was born, it was a real reckoning for me. And now I was, you know, walking with him in a stroller and people were not only staring at me, they were staring at him. However, as any parent knows, you know, the unconditional love you have for a child is so enormous that it really forced me to realize again, that maybe that shame that I experienced was something that was completely a waste of time. And I I refused to be ashamed of my child. If anything, I was so in love with my child and felt like he needed my support so that he could get through this. And also just reminding myself that everybody has something. Everybody has their own version of one finger to hide. So, you know, whether it's visible or invisible. And so that Mm -hmm. really was the, the, you know, process that I had. And then by the time Charlie came along, um, you know, we were ready. <laughs> yeah, I believed I, it. I, I believed it could happen. Let's put it that way, Mina. Now I was not so unrealistic, <laughs> right? But when I think about um, how you have wrestled with this idea that you passed this on to your kids, right? And and I, I think that the fact that that you were able to work through the process of realizing that that you didn't actually pass this on like yes of course it's hereditary to some extent and you have this hereditary condition but the way that you think about the the guilt that we associate or or the guilt that we put on ourselves if we think of ourselves as passing that particular train can you just talk about how you um sort of reconciled that piece of it in a way that i think is is a lot more honest about (laughs) about what we what we give our children and 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 how we see ourselves as quote unquote responsible for who they are. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, as I wrote in the book, I mean, you know, for me personally, of course I was the, the sort of reason, but none of us are, are definitely, definitively responsible for every trait that, you know, we, we pass along to our children for sure. And, you know, as I, there's a, the first chapter is called embracing the new normal. And I would tell you that, you know, in that chapter, I really focus on, um, the notion of perfection. And, you know, there's, there's this quote from Moonstruck, the movie where Cher says to Nicholas Cage, snowflakes are perfect, stars are perfect, not us, not us. And, you know, letting go of the notion of perfection helped me to come to that realization that, you know, it, it this is okay. And, you know, this is, in fact, something that instead of something that went wrong, um, maybe something that I absolutely did right for me and my family. And in that sense, um, everything was going to be okay. Well, this listener Laura writes, when I consciously and intentionally share my hidden differences, I have to first overcome the very primal need to belong and be quote normal. It means choosing to be vulnerable. And that can be very counter instinctual. It means I have to choose to let go of passing in public and being acceptable. It means I have to assume the responsibility of letting go of control over others perception of me. Thank you, Meg Zucker. And thank you for shining a light on this topic. 
Um, That's wonderful. I love that. I really love Laura's point, especially the idea of um, assuming the responsibility of letting go of control over others' perceptions of me. There's this point in the book where you talk about telling your children about the reality of having to constantly manage how other people react to them. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about about that and the the advice that you gave them for managing that? Yeah. Um. So so in in the chapter, um, there's a, a chapter called Building Their Dignity. Um, and it really taps right into, um, you know, what you just read out loud um, from a caller, because at, at the end of the day, uh, what I started to realize raising my children and because of my own personal life experiencing experience, sharing their difference is forecasting was everything. It was like its own power. And, you know, having to manage the reaction, you know, anytime we're blindsided or shocked, you know, in any scenario, not just what we're talking about, Mina, but that's harder to deal with, right? In and of itself, if you think about it that way. And so in this scenario, and in, th- in this sense, to me, by saying to Charlie and Ethan, you know, look, here are the types of people that are going to approach you. You know, there's going to be the the curious cats. There's going to, they're going to ask you all these questions. There's going to be the sort of the stares of the whispers. You know, I went through each category. I also went through the category of the heroes, um, which are kids that just show up and they don't seem to notice or care. And you're like, what? <laughs> don't you want to ask something? But they don't. And likely they're just going home and asking their parents about it later. But, you know, those, those are the heroes in my mind. But, you know, providing you know, people, uh, my kids, the insight was, was huge for them. And so in terms of um, handling things, it's really just, uh, you know, if you, if you can envision what's going to happen, you can really anticipate it and feel a little bit stronger in the moment. Yeah. We'll have more with Meg Zucker after the break. Her new book, Born Extraordinary, is on the wisdom she's gained about how to empower kids to talk about and flaunt what makes them different. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Meg Zucker this hour, author of the new book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation at 866-733-6786. What are your questions for Meg Zucker? How do you flaunt a difference or disability? If you do, have you found it difficult to? Why or why not? How would you like to support or learn how to support kids or loved ones with differences or disabilities? Email forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Call us at 866-733-6786. Alicia in Santa Rosa is on the line. Hi, Alicia. You're on. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for uh, listening to my question. And Thank you for this um, opportunity. I love. I would love to buy the book because I think it's it's very um, useful. Um, and perhaps Thank this <laughs> question is out of the realm of um, what Meg is addressing. But I'm a. I don't have children, but I have um, a parent with dementia, and um, um, she doesn't. Um, she doesn't hear really well. Uh, she speaks Spanish, and most of her other peers are English-speaking. Um, she's more of an introvert, and she often tells me, I feel really depressed. I, I, I'm not useful for anything. You know, I, I just, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't see how I'm useful in this life. And I wonder if you have any ideas for empowering, um, not kids, but, you know, um, adults or, or, or people, seniors. Oh. You know, it's, uh, Mina, did you want to say something? No, I, no, I, go right ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe this is my next book. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, really, I, you're, you're sharing this is so important. And it's obviously something that, you know, I'm sure millions, millions of people are, are encountering and, and so forth. But what, when you were describing your mom, you reminded me that my first um, job in high school was at a senior citizen's home. And, um, and so I was interacting a lot with the people, the residents that lived there. And uh, it, I used to write a blog way before I was writing other things. And I started to tap into the fact that this this too was a lot about dignity um, and the fact that in that space, people, and I can relate to this very much so, people were treating, you know, the, the residents as if they were children. Um, and I can relate to it because, you know, I'll be at a grocery store and someone will be like, oh, can I bag your apples for you? Or can I do this for you all the time? I'm constantly feeling like a child and it's demeaning. Um, and you know, you start to feel depressed and so forth. And so in terms of that, you know, tapping into that understanding of feeling dignified and in, you know, involvement and hearing from, I know with the residents, the, the way I was always engaging with them is just the way I'd want to be engaged, like hearing from them in terms of get where, where, are the, where are their joy spots? You know what I mean? Because what you want to do is you want to raise their dignity ladder. That's what I call it. That's the tool that I use. You want to, right now, you know, the way you describe your mom, she can be at the bottom of her dignity ladder. But I think, you know, it, you're such a, you know, loving, loving child that wants to help her and be there for her, even by calling in. Um, it's really just tapping into where her joy spots are. So her dignity starts to ri- raise a little bit. And so she isn't feeling like she's, 
she's a child because she's not a child and she deserves that type of respect. But Mina, I mean, by all means, this is off the cuff. <laughs> well, I, of- yeah, well, you're reminding me of this moment in the book when you talk about, well, you talk about the importance of humor in everything, but also yeah. you talk about joy spots, saying joy spots reminds me a lot of just kind of laughing or enjoying the unexpected gifts that can come in a difference, especially if you're in the mood. So for example, like you said, (laughs) something about how, you know, um, the unexpected gift and a difference, uh, especially in the difference that your kids have is that almost everything they do, even shoveling snow strikes people as incredible. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. And you're right about the humor part. I mean, that, 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 you know, that is a joy spot in terms of um, helping with the dignity. I mean, I would, I would just say that, you know, if it, the second chapter in particular about building dignity, I might, it might provide some insights for sure. I, as I'm thinking about it, I'm glad you reminded me you know, of, of those parts as well. Well, listener Nancy writes, in my elementary school and high school, a girl a couple of years behind me had the same difference as your guest, but only one arm, much shorter and with only a few fingers. She didn't hide it, just rolled up that sleeve. She simply acted as if it made no difference. In high school, she was a cheerleader out there performing in front of the crowd. The cheer squad modified her role in some of their performances to include her differently. Because she acted so unconcerned, so were we. Those of us who knew her for years saw this as just who she was, like her hair color. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So... (laughs) Do we have another hour? I'm just kidding. So um, <laughs> I w- thank you for sharing that. That is so incredible. And it just, I want to say that, um, you know, as I write in the book, you know, behind every, and I'm going to call her a fearless flaunter, behind every fearless flaunter are parents that are empowering her. So they could have written a book, you know, in that sense. If that's how she was coming to the table, she was sort of ready to you know, set the stage in the way that she wanted it to look for herself. And that has to do a lot of times with personality of the child as well. And so, you know, if your child is more shy or not as confident, things like that, you know, it's not to say not not yours in particular, but generally in the you, um, not every kid that has a limb difference can or any type of blatant physical difference be doing that so young, so early. But I would tell you that not only does that demonstrate the power of hopefully the type of, you know, the, the book I wrote and the type of lessons that can be learned, but also just hearing from how you describe her that, you know, because she was so unconditionally accepting herself, then everybody gets to move on from the conversation. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when I told you, like I was hiding my hands because I just wanted people to get to know me. And I needed to realize, I'm like, wait, it's fine. Like people can just, I can just be comfortable with myself and they can get to know me anyway. And it doesn't matter. And so, you know, bravo to, to that incredible girl, you know, with one arm that, that was able to demonstrate that I'm sure she is shining a big light in her world, wherever she is right now. Well, thanks Nancy for sharing that story. Also, she pointed out, Nancy pointed out that, um, that, cheer squad modified the routine a little bit. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about <laughs> navigating offering help or giving help. Um, because I think this is also just a really important space to to navigate and negotiate for you and your kids. Well, yeah, so much so that I wrote an entire chapter on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Helping Hand. And the reason I wrote that, um, 
and it doesn't have to be just relating to anyone who um, whose child has a limb difference. It's 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 broader than that. But um, look, you know, there's some irony here, right? If you think about, you know, the the first chapter is about, uh, or one of the chapters is about building their dignity, and we talked about not overprotecting them, and so you really are raising them to be empowered, and then, as I describe it. The entire world, even with the, I say the entire, but it feels like that, even if it's not realistic, it, with the best of intentions, people act like mighty mouth, you know, run, rushing into your life to save the day in terms of, you know, helping or wanting to help and offering to help. And quite frankly, it can be really demeaning. Um, but on the other hand, it, I, it took me a long, long while, and it's something I taught my kids too, to realize Sometimes you need to be gracious and accept, accept the help or and say, or say, no, thank you graciously, not because you necessarily need it. If you do, you're going to accept it. But if you don't, um, you, you know, we have, and I say, we, we who are physically blatantly physically different in particular, we have a greater role to play because I used to, I mean, you know, I liken myself to a praying mantis, which is not that nice of myself <laughs> the way I'm describing myself but I would bite people's heads off I was so angry that people were trying to impose themselves when I was defiant and raised to think I can do anything and why are you doing this to me but what I needed to, thankfully that's in the past and I'm no longer channeling that part of my personality but I will say that the reason that it was so important for me to get beyond that and teach my kids that is because sometimes we have a role to play so that the person that's helping isn't thwarted from the next time they see someone and, you know, then hold back and then they don't offer the help. And then quite frankly, we've essentially killed kindness, haven't we in that sense? And so um, what I would say from an advice perspective in terms of giving and offering help, and I've said this um, time and time again is um, take a breath, you know, just take a breath and observe. Um, and in the helping hand, I actually provide to the you know people that or ki their kids that are physically different the way that they're going to behave and the way people are going to react to them. So there's specifics in the book. Yes, but expectations. If you, yes, exactly. But if it, you know by taking a breath, you can actually start to see you know if someone's struggling and they're looking around, that means they might need your help. But sometimes you've got to sort of help them preserve their own dignity, and if they don't look like they're trying to get help maybe they're not and that's okay too so you know yeah. it's a whole you know conversation about this whole topic which is really i appreciate that we we went there i was so struck by when you talked about telling your your kids sometimes to accept the help not because you need it but because others do <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> more than exactly. you but it also underscored your point about the reality that our kids who are different are forced to develop emotional maturity much sooner than their peers. Yeah. It's really true, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And by the way, um, sometimes, as I uh, wrote in the book, it can feel kind of harsh, you know, that they have to experience this. But, you know, it, the, you know the reality is they're just getting more prepared or prepared for life earlier than most. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yep. 
Yep. Well, Scott writes, this is a tough topic for me. I was born in the early 70s, and it wasn't until 2008 or so did I learn that I have a learning disability. I do learn, but I simply do it differently. I'm an amazing problem solver because I don't think or learn in a linear way. There's a great benefit to this superpower. What's tough is that I went through decades of teachers and even family telling me that I was dumb. I believed it, but I kept a little flicker of hope inside me that I was still worthy of learning and knowing. Oh, Scott. Uh, I, 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 that, <laughs> yeah, that spark. It sounds like it's a flame now, Scott. <laughs> it's so great. And by the way, Scott, I mean, I don't have a learning disability, but I have to tell you that I had an English teacher that told me, because I said I wanted to be a journalist, and he's like, whatever you do, don't write. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's not great. I had wonderful teachers and my family are teachers. So not, I love teachers. But in that particular thing, I just want to say that to your point, it's all about, and you know, I'm glad you used that word. It's all about your sort of internal spark and tapping into that and not listening to the sort of external noise. You know, that sort of what you think of me is none of my business kind of concept still. Yeah. We're talking with Meg Zucker, president and founder of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a nonprofit that works to advance acceptance, understanding, tolerance, and mutual respect for a person's blatant or invisible difference. A lot of the learnings are in Zucker's new book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. And if you have questions for Meg Zucker, send them to us, 866-733-6786. Post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or email forum at kqed.org. We have a few minutes left. Reading uh, Scott's comment, um, Meg Zucker reminds me a little bit about just the power of having kids where things that you weren't necessarily willing to do for yourself, you find you do for your kids come hell or high water. And I think part of the reason that Scott's comment made me realize that was because having kids, at least for me personally, made me realize that there were things that I was willing to do for my kids that I had not been willing to do for myself. <laughs> in terms of protecting them or or revealing to me the the places where um I still needed to find or love who I was and it really connected with the points that you made about self-love and the the importance of of self-love in being an effective and supporting and empowering parent to a child with a difference or disability. I don't know if you want to say a little more about that. You just touched on it at the very beginning of the show, but it's just such a powerful point about about self-love connecting to to good parent love. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, and thanks for sharing that, I Mina, mean, because it, it matters so much. I mean, that's why my first chapter is actually called Embracing the New Normal. And this is a parenting book. So you would think we would just all jump into sort of Meg Zucker's experiences and the experiences of others surrounding this topic. And quite, quite frankly, I knew just personally as a person who's physically different and parents children in the same way. Um, but even if you don't, by the way, um, I just knew that we all sort of want to rush in to sort of either fix things or support them or do whatever. And how can we possibly do that if we haven't sort of tapped in and checked in with ourselves and are we the type of person how can we lead them in a way we expect them to be if we can't walk that walk ourselves and so that's why I say in you know the first chapter you know ask yourself do you have your own work to do and we explore that work and how to get there yeah 
Carol writes, I was born with congenital hip dysplasia, no hip socket on one side. When I was in elementary school, we had to do the JFK physical fitness test. (laughs) I was so slow on the 30-yard dash that the principal called my parents in for a meeting. Later, I joined the Navy, and in spite of my leg-hip mess, I became a fast runner because a Marine major taught me running techniques. I applaud all your speakers for working hard to overcome their limitations and for speaking up for themselves and for others. Oh, oh my gosh. How cool is that? Thank yeah. you for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Oh, and, and, and by the way, I mean, and, you know, it's, it's a, that sort of, um, you know, you've got to every day you wake up, uh, if you are experiencing something that is a physical limitation, just know that people are going to sort of open mouth, insert foot and say things, whether it's intentionally um, cruel, usually not. It's usually just insensitive without realizing it. And mm-hmm. so it's navigating that and sort of sticking with your mission, if you will. You know, what's your mission? What do you care about? And, it, you know, if people are going to sort of superimpose their views or thoughts or whatever, you know, just keep on track. And, um, and I love saying that because no pun intended, but, you know, she clearly kept on track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, oh, one last thing you, you, and this is a really great point. I'm curious, like what is your favorite or the, the way that makes you feel best um, when you encounter a brand new person who, uh, or when you're with one of your kids and you encounter a brand new person? I remember you said a friend was like, well, Meg, how should people react when they encounter you? I, I'm curious, like, what is it that makes you feel really good inside? Yeah. And we I just mean, have 30 look- seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to do this from a parenting perspective. You know, what should people do? Um, Certainly, you know, just treat me like you'd want to treat anybody else truly. And if you don't know what to say um, and, you know, then it's, it's fine. You can just, you know, be polite and just like you would be like anyone else. That's all, you know, we, anyone like myself or my son, we're just living in our own version of normal, capable of doing anything and everything within our means. That's our headspace. So um, that's really my response on that front. Well, Meg Zucker, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. You too, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it and appreciate it to all your listeners. Meg Zucker's new book is Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. I also want to thank Rachel Vasquez and Susie Britton for producing today's segment. And as always, thank you, listeners, for sharing your stories, your vulnerabilities, your experiences, and your questions. We appreciate it so much. Forum is with you today and always. Join us tomorrow. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure— The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call 
very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.